We acknowledge and pay respect to the land and the traditional families of the Yugamba region of southeast Queensland and to their elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to remind listeners that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty has never been ceded. Welcome to Revolting Women. This is an independent podcast brought to you by four independent women. It's time to rethink, rebel and revolt. So, what do you think about the patriarchy? Do you want to destroy it? Welcome back to Revolting Women. Welcome to episode four. We hope you are well. Um, if you have listened to all three episodes now, we fucking thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and then if not, you're here for episode four. <laughs> um, sorry we haven't recorded an episode in a few weeks, but um, I think from now on we'll probably only be getting out like an episode every couple of weeks. Um, we're back at uni now, so... Yeah, we've got life, yeah. <laughs> life happening. Life. But when it doesn't mean we're any less passionate about what we're doing. But yeah, um, on another note, we just got back from Mardi Gras in Sydney. <laughs> Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. <laughs> yeah, which was so much fun. It was amazing. We learned a bit about it too um, because we bought tickets to the actual event, but we also went to the protest beforehand. And from there, we learned how much the government and uh, big corporations and stuff have been capitalising on Mardi Gras, which I thought was pretty interesting because I had no expectations going into it and I hadn't really done much research beforehand going. But nevertheless, the whole experience was really amazing and inspiring and I'm so keen for next year and hopefully it's a little less corporized. Yeah, (laughs) it can be for this podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was amazing to see the whole LGBTQI plus community there um, banding together and even banding together with other marginalized groups such as First Nations people, um, sex workers. Refugees. Yeah, so all of them were there together, um, I guess, fighting against the Liberal government and the policies that they're trying to put in place. Um, Mm. So that was really important that they had that protest because that's where Mardi Gras started as well. in 1978 where they had a protest um pretty much defending their rights um the same rights that they're still defending to this day so Mm. over those years it's been yeah taken by big companies um capitalized on and to see um this protest happen so many years later is really promising yeah and especially because when we went to the actual event the police were able to walk in the march as well not the march what's the word yeah in the parade like the police were able to walk into the parade proudly and there was a group of activists called the department of homo affairs and they ran onto the stadium and said cops out with banners and they were escorted off and fined and arrested on the spot and it just kind of went to prove that the cops are still not there for these communities and they are not supporting them. There was actually a thin blue line that was on the police officer's um, badge sort of thing and that represents hate and it was very clear that they were doing it on purpose. Mm. It's clear they weren't there actually supporting the community at Mm. all. Like they were there to... um, 
<clears throat> diffuse inverted quotation marks any possible like obviously riding situations and stuff and while we were in the Mardi Gras parade and when we were in Oxford Street and when we were at the protest we did not witness a single act of you know violence or anything that was breaching COVID guidelines as well um in any for by anyone from the community at all but it was interesting because we actually where we were staying later that night and we were you know walking home from Oxford Street to our accommodation in Chinatown and we were away really far away from Oxford Street and all of the um, Mardi Gras celebrations and we witnessed a really explicit and intense fight of um between two men on the streets and there wasn't a single um police officer in sight but every street we every block that we walked down and every bar we passed on oxford street where the celebrations were happening there was a group of at least five to ten police officers just standing there together just not in and not in um interacting with the community Mm. as well not going up and asking people if they're having a good night or um being a part of the community you can see there is this clear barrier between the police and the community they're not there to support and to be a part of the community they're there to be a direct force of power to mm-hmm. show their control over this this group and then where were they when this fought, fight broke out they were nowhere to be seen they were literally like hundreds of them i swear were all in this one street to yeah <laughs> yeah i totally agree it was it was really sad was to outrageous. see actually how many police were there and then the fact that they walk in the parade pride mm. about being um with the lgbtqi plus community when they never even talk to them they never yeah. even show them the decency to interact with them um and yeah. protect them as well yeah and um that was a big thing about in the 78 march as well is that there was a lot of police brutality that happened within yeah. that march and and nothing's changed. You can just see that there's still so much work to be done between the police department and um, being more of an accepting and a force that we can actually be proud of. Yeah, of Being a part of our community that protects everyone. Yeah, it, just, it really showed like a lot to us to see the difference between seeing a lot of police in one area and no police anywhere else in the city where it actually kind of needed it. Yeah. But we also felt a responsibility not to call the police on this fight because they were people of colour in that situation and that could also lead to a really dangerous situation for them. Yeah, yeah and it just shows how we have no faith in our um, justice system or the correctional officers that... Um, uh, in our yeah. society and it shows the need for a change if there was people that were trained in intervention or trained in calming down situations that actually looked at these marginalized groups and helped them rather than um, be another form of oppression for them yeah. we could really see some beautiful things happen and that's what was needed that night but you couldn't see mm. it anywhere and you can see that transpiring into some current affairs happening at the moment with um, three police I mean sorry three deaths in custody in the past week with uh, within Australia I think one in Victoria two in um, New South Wales yeah and then also what's happening at the moment with the sexual assault case happening and so you can just see that the government and our institutions do not protect women they do not um, protect people of color they do not protect the LGBTQ plus community they're only there to protect white men and that's it I think the coincision of all of these three really big events with Mardi Gras um, the indigenous deaths in custody and everything that's going on in parliament as well 
is so telling to the year and the era that we're entering with social justice and reminds us why these things are so important and why these conversations need to be had because we're not living in a perfect world. This utopia that people think we live in in Australia is quite the opposite in fact and it's so obvious when these things happen how many cracks there are in our system. Mm -hmm. If in the utmost the place in Australia where it is meant to be the utmost form of law and the utmost form of virtue is having women come forward and say I did not feel safe in my workplace as a woman and for the Australian public to be filled with so much discourse of doubt and not believing these women Mm -hmm. and the conversation being had of they would be lying or you know they're not telling the truth or they're just trying to get attention why is this our first reaction to these things when it's happening it should be us looking at these people who are being accused and saying you need to be removed from this position mm-hmm. and we need a complete reevaluation of the structures that are being that we live under yeah that being said a cab and abolish the government <laughs> <laughs> let's destroy, destroy the, the patriarchy, patriarchy. <laughs> If you feel like any of these topics that we talk about trigger you or raise any feelings that are difficult, there is resources available online, over the phone or in person. If you are struggling in any way, your experience is valid and you are heard. Sometimes it takes statistics or people to discuss the information to self-reflect and recognise our disordered eating patterns and mental challenges. You are not alone. The stigma of eating disorders should be dismantled. Resources that you can reach out to are Inside Out Institute, Beyond Blue, Headspace, and you can call Lifeline at 13 11 14. So today we are going to be talking about fat phobia, which is defined um, as the irrational fear of, aversion to, or discrimination against obesity or people with obesity. I think that definition for starters is pretty problematic because of the word obesity and like it's just already put so many connotations onto what it means and things like that because um, people love to think that they have the medical standpoint and the medical views behind something when it comes to that word when most people actually don't. So I think more so fat phobia in the way that I would define it personally is just being afraid of the way that you treat fat people or the way that society treats fat people and that's kind of more how I see it in a way. And it's also developed like so much through our socialisation of just living and existing in a world that has so much weight on how women look specifically Mm -hmm. and how people look and how what that means as well in society as well. Yeah, um, I found this online magazine article and it's called Real Talk on Fatness, Desirability and Why Socialization is a Beast. And the author is von C. Detrau, who is German, and I hope I um, pronounce that right because I am German. (laughs) (laughs) So so she writes this after an exercise class and with her mum and she says, After our joint spin class together, drenched in sweat and having burned thousands of calories, I exhaled in a moment of frustration. Why doesn't this do anything for me? My mum immediately responded, you'll never be skinny. You're just not a thin person. She's right. And despite being in my late 20s and a full-on queer feminist killjoy, it it sometimes still bothers me. 
My thighs are massive and solid. My stone hard and amazingly round ass gets me up and down the five flights of my apartment building day in and day out. I cycle all over Berlin. I swim four times a week. I can run 5k at the top of a hat, but I'm still fat. I always have been and I most likely always will be. But writing that doesn't eradicate the 20 something years of socialization that pounded into my head the idea that my fatness is bad. It's not just bad, it's undesirable, uncool, unpleasant, and most unequivocally unsexy. Mm. I Um, think that's a really good quote as well because fat phobia itself is so deeply rooted in complex structures and systems like capitalism, patriarchy, and racism mm. specifically as well. And that idea of like the incapabilities that you have when you are fat and then fat people saying, no, I actually can do all of these things that like most people who are deemed normal sized don't do and can't do. And, um, there's yeah. I, I've on the back of that there's a woman named Virgie Tovar who is amazing when it comes down to um, talking about fat, pre- fat representation and fat phobia as well and she talks about um, that idea of life starting later when I lose weight all of these things will start for me um, she says I believed that life would begin later I would wear a swimsuit later I would go on a date wear my favorite outfit travel later and it's that idea that these things aren't possible if you're fat and the world is not created for you in that way if you are fat and fat phobia comes so intertwined with that because people on a day-to-day basis enable that we enable that with the language that we use yeah. and the way we see people that don't look like us or that look different to us yeah, for sure and so what I want to get from that quote is um, is that socialization and I think we can talk about magazines movies and all of that but I also love for you guys to discuss personally your own experiences what has been your experience of viewing fatness in your life and how were you socialized into having these views was it friends family school or even just those pop culture things I think the socialization definitely started um when I was super young, I did yeah. dancing and, you know, everyone wears the like crop tops and you're always like comparing yourself to the other people around you um, and always just like, yeah, wondering why their body tops, why their body types are like that and they're not like yours. And also growing up um, like with a skinny mom, with um, like a lot of skinny people around me, like skinny cousins, things like that. And then just having like, I was obviously not like fat or anything, but I like had chub and I was like always afraid of that or I was very uncomfortable with that feeling. Mm. Um, and I think that comes down to um, the people around you and the, the way they talk about it as well. The way that um, they're always dieting or the way that you compare like your legs to someone else's and, and just little things like that can really um, get under your skin or get in your mind um, and then you think about that constantly throughout like your whole high school years and then it gets even worse because there's more media especially growing up with social media which we'll probably go into a little bit more um, the representation of fat women is like at like two percent of the photos you see or something um, which is just crazy and it it explains so much why um, we have this uncomfortability with fatness and even this internalized dominance over fatness so it's not like um I was ever really affected by being um like not like a stick thin person but there was always that constant um internalized dominance within me to try to make sure that I never got uh like too fat or because I needed to keep um that and I think then that rubs off and and it creates um it created this divide where I was 
because you're so comfortable like I was so comfortable with other people being fat I wouldn't think about that in any other way but when it comes to yourself you have a completely different view of things um so and then that does harm other people in retrospect it does harm other people because they can see your view on those things um and then the people around you um can internalize your like yeah, yeah I completely agree with that. I feel as though we all can say that we don't care about what other women look like around us, but when it comes to your own self-worth and your own self-esteem, there is always something to pick on and not be happy about. And with the question of socialisation, I believe that it definitely always starts with being at a young age because sure. they do put like we wear leotards and we wear our swimmers and we go to pool parties mm. and we're always doing things that like just normal little kids do and then you start comparing yourself and I feel as though I had a lot of internalized dominance when I was a teenager because I would genuinely call myself fat and I know what that word means and I created an insult in myself with it and I'm so upset that I used to see myself that way and just like consider that as a burden and like a negative thing and now I I definitely have learnt through therapy and research that that has covered into eating disorders and mental health issues and that's definitely something that we're going to talk about later in the episode but when you're a teenager and you have these internally internalised dominant feelings you are always projecting onto everyone Mm. else around you and that's why it's a problem because we're all sitting there nitpicking at ourselves and not liking what we are for who we are and that creates such a a divide within our communities and with Mm. our friendships because people aren't actually talking about the real issue here which is fat phobia studies actually found that a group of five-year-olds would rather lose an arm than be fat Mm. that is five years old Mm. so that is just on the cusp of starting school and another thing that Virgie Tovar talks about as well is then when is that she loved her body as all through her you know toddler years and her she never saw it as a problem and like when she entered school that one toxic thought entered into Mm. her mind which is my body is wrong and that is where it all starts is when we're so young and these things just slip by so under the cracks within our society by teachers by people around us by parents by extended family members and it's so easy to be socialized into this behavior and it's not even a conversation of who is fat phobic it's everyone is and you have to socialize your way out of that ideology that is a great point ruby yeah, so we polled our um, Instagram audience and just asked if um, like a few basic questions and asked how many people would be able to name um, some positive positive fat representations on their Instagram feeds and stuff like that. And it's very few. Like people really do not follow like a diverse amount of people, especially in this Instagram culture where all of these aesthetics are being so ingrained into our um, you know social medias. And most of these aesthetics are very fat phobic, like you know, like the Y two K and like cottage core vibes. Yeah. They're all very like skinny based. And so on Instagram, it's I think it's really important that we acknowledge how a lot of these algorithms are actually built to make sure that we don't see fat people, yeah. and how a lot of them flag fat people and will flag flag black fat people as well and um a really specific instance where this happened that actually resulted in some change which was great was um Naomi Nicholas Williams last year posted a series of nude photographs and she is a model so she models for campaigns and things like that she's not just like you know she would be classed as like an influencer now especially but um she posted a photo of herself where all of you know the bits were covered and 
It was continually removed by the Instagram algorithm and she kept re-uploading the photo and kept saying, why is my photo being taken down when I have appropriately um, followed all the guidelines? Yeah, I've censored myself in the way that it needs to be to be deemed appropriate, but I'm still getting my photos removed. And it started a hashtag campaign where it was, I want to see Naomi. And um, it was really important. And I remember when it was happening because it was getting infiltrated into like the larger feminist spaces online as well because it was off the back again of Black Lives Matter and all of these things where we are meant to be amplifying black women but a platform that we use on a day-to-day basis most of us was removing these people and so a quick way to explain um why it kept getting removed there's actually um there was a oh there was a member of Instagram that came out um and it's they confirmed that Instagram has an algorithm that detects and flags photos featuring over 60% skin. Yeah, and that's 60% skin in the image. Yeah. yeah. So then they they also did... Um, yeah, it's wild. But they also did, in this article, explain why this happened. Um, and so they just said it, like, let's say a smaller body woman decides to wear a bathing suit that covers up 40% of her skin. Now let's just imagine a fat woman decides to wear the same bathing suit. That bathing suit may have slightly more fabric due to the larger size, but that individual's body could have significantly more skin, causing Instagram's algorithm to flag the image even though there is nothing inappropriate about it. Although Instagram likely did not set out to do this, they ended up creating an algorithm that discriminates against fat bodies. Yeah, it's actually insane, especially because they would have been creating like a body blueprint when they were making these algorithms. Like it had to go off some sort of physicality and the fact that, you know, those specific ones were chosen and it's all over everywhere. Even just like Celeste Barber, we all are familiar with her um, challenge accepted hashtag that she does. And she had photos removed when she literally, her whole stick is replicating images yeah. like doing the exact She's literally same copying thing. images of models yeah and she even had um she had photos removed she's always had photos removed and where she was actually approached by instagram as well yeah. saying hey we're doing this body positive campaign <laughs> and we want to do this. she was like no like you're continually yeah. taking down my photographs and other photographs i'm not going to work for yeah. your company it's just not good enough it really not when isn't. they're trying to um Try to make trying to make money out of these like body positivity movements yeah. and like BLM mm. movements, and then they can't even um, fix their algorithm. Yeah, like they have the resources to do it, yet w- what what are they doing to change it? Yeah, exactly. There's a plus size influencer named Karina Scherer, and she said, "As a plus size person, the only media we have is what we create for ourselves." She's right. When Refinery Twenty Nine and Getty Images launched their sixty seven percent project in twenty seventeen. They acknowledge that although 67% of women are plus size, they make up less than 2% of the images we see, which is what Jazzy was talking about before. And it just goes to show that this representation isn't anywhere. There is no representation. We have to be following these people and diversifying our feeds. um, Because if we don't, no one is there allowing them to be seen. So we have to actively try to do this until um, it becomes mainstream or it becomes the norm to have these women on your feeds because they are women and they make up majority of um, the population. population. Yeah, in Australia, most women are sizes 14 to 16, yet all we see are fucking size 8 and size 10 models. Like, where is the representation of the regular community or fat communities? This next segment, um, there is quite a lot of myths around um, health and fatness, and they really 
um, a lot of people believe that fat people can't be healthy and that healthy people are always thin. And this Mm. is just not true. And there's a few things um, in our society that really reinforce these ways of thinking. And one is the BMI, which is actually um, the body mass index, which you probably, if you've been to a doctor, you would have had um, this measured. measured. Yeah. And so how they measured it or where this comes from, it's actually a simple math formula. It was devised in the 1830s by Lambert Adolf. (laughs) Fuck, I don't know how to say his name. Just a white man. (laughs) Just a white man. Just a white man. A Belgian astronomer, mathematician. (laughs) (laughs) He knows about health. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Don't even bother. He doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. He fucked up a lot of things for a lot of people. White man. And in none of those things that he is, does it say he's a scientist? (laughs) Um, Or a doctor. (laughs) Or a doctor. (laughs) Has done any health related education. Um, And this BMI aims to estimate whether a person has a healthy weight by dividing their weight in kilograms (laughs) by their height in meters squared. It's just so ridiculous. When he devised the BMI formula, there were no computers, calculators or electronic devices, so he developed a simple system. (laughs) And also with this system, it was made so they could find statistics on um, measuring populations and not actually individuals. Yeah. But yeah, it was um, made to yeah measure obesity within a society rather than an individual way of looking health. at it. Yeah. So the reason they use it for individuals now is because in the 1900s, um, a man came in and worked with the insurance companies um, and they were changed yeah, with diet-related companies and insurance companies, so the ranges were easier to remember and in turn, 29 million Americans became overweight overnight. Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> because they decided to just use this formula, change it a little bit, then work with insurance companies to be able to charge fat people more money. Yeah. If you have a BMI over 25, you're apparently unhealthy. Yeah. Just to put into into perspective what that actually means, it means that someone uh, actually it actually is a fact that Usain Bolt under the BMI would be considered obese. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the fastest the fastest yeah. man on earth is obese <laughs> according to this system. So that itself just goes to prove how completely unbased in science this is. Yeah, and outdated. And with so. all that all of that said, um, regarding the BMI, it's also um, an extremely racist yep. connotation. In the 70s, there was studies done on 7,500 men from white nations. So that already discredits and discounts um, people of colour and women. Well, BMI just doesn't factor in any other... Um, well, there was no other test done on um, black women, black men, um, Asian women, Asian yeah. men, anyone from um, BIPOC or um, even yeah. women. It didn't even do any white women. Like they, room, all they got their info from was um, middle-aged white men. And that just shows in our society who um, they really care about and who they're looking at to to make healthy, to keep yeah. healthy. They only care about the health of white men. So this is all they're doing their studies on, yeah. or they did in the BMI. And that is patriarchy. Yeah. There are also new ways to record these things, but most of the time they're so inaccessible for people or way too expensive. Yeah. And the fact that they just have not 
updated these systems or way of thinking just shows just shows how fat phobic society still is yeah definitely there is so many systems that they've developed um but yeah within the public health system they don't have enough money or funding to actually put this into place for these people also a lot of the time I think they just um see someone and they assume their healthiness or their weight and then don't even look at any other health aspect of their lives and then just tell them to lose weight. So talking about um, health and fatness and um, doctors not taking fat people seriously, there was um, this post on Reddit um, and I guess some people don't always take these posts too seriously, but I think Reddit's a good place for people to actually talk about um, things that happen to them in a safe space. So the top line is I lost 75 pounds so doctors would stop blaming everything on my weight. She says, I am 5'6", I was 210 libs before and am now 135. It took me a year to lose it all, but what finally pushed me to lose the weight was because every single thing I, every single thing I went to a doctor for, it got blamed on my weight. Severe cramps? Weight. Feeling sleepy during the day? Weight. Numbness in my fingers? Headaches? Memory problems? Balance problems? Weight. I recently went back to my doctors, who of course applauded the weight loss and wrongly assumed all of my problems were gone. When I said no, they hadn't, they immediately ordered an MRI, sleep study and lapro, which they hadn't done before the weight loss. The MRI found a curia malformation. The sleep study and physical found out I have an oversized uh, uvulva as well as narcolepsy. And the lapo found so much endo, I lost both of my ovaries and a portion of my colon and lower intestines. Mm. If it had been taken seriously a year ago, I might not have lost Um, them. And so I just wanted to talk even that's the whole BMI system is obviously the medical institution sort of discriminating against fat people. But I also just wanted to talk about the stigma within society that we have about fat people and about fatness equating to health a bit more. And I think that weight has become the biggest indicator of health and society is obsessed with it. And only fat people are ostracized for promoting obesity obesity in quotation marks or an unhealthy lifestyle and being a drain on our healthcare system and people are obsessed with the belief or fact that um, the increased body fat means that you have an increased risk of diabetes heart failure cancer etc but you're at greater risk of these things if you're a smoker if you're an alcoholic but these people aren't ostracized on a daily basis in the same matter and they're taken seriously as well when they go to um um, our medical facilities to get these things checked out and are taken seriously and will get help when asked to and not ostracized in the same way. Yeah. And even just like a comparison, I was looking up different statistics and in Australia, melanoma is the most common cancer diagnosed in Australians aged 15 to 29 years old. And I've we live on the Gold Coast. It's obviously very sunny here. Yeah. I'm sure we've all tanned before on the beach, <laughs> yeah. laid in the sun grown up in a surf culture community I have not we don't see the same response to skin cancer as we do with fatness like we don't go around yelling at people on the beach that they're a drain on our healthcare system because they're going to get melanomas cut out of their skin one day it's a completely different culture with how we see it and I think that is what everyone needs to think about when you're ostracizing someone like you ostracizing them 
just because of the stigma in society yeah. or do you actually give a fuck because you probably don't yeah because you don't have the yeah. same response do you really care about that one person that you're telling giving health advice to yeah. when you're not even a doctor like yeah exactly and most people believe that discrimination against fat people isn't even discrimination oh, at exactly. all like they think it's just like something that's been brought upon themselves and people really love to just not acknowledge how being fat and how body size in general will just affect someone's life trajectory so much and it was even just something I was told so much growing up as if if I don't lose weight I won't be able to get jobs that I want I won't be able to get married I won't be able to do all of these things that it's just doesn't make any sense like why we create these spaces to exclude people and to create these ideologies that get so cemented into people's brains when they're growing up and this is why people our age and women especially in our age groups have so much disordered eating and so many problems with their eating habits and the concept of you know work to reward for food and things like that and it's all just so toxic and it starts with us like I know that we need to be putting this pressure on these big companies but it starts in your day-to-day life and how the fat people around you hear you talk Mm. about fatness and that is where it all starts and like that is the impact and your kids and to your children as well like it is so important that we look at these facts behind health and how that equates to fatness or how it doesn't and Mm. look at that and actually reflect our personal beliefs and ideologies onto it there's so many factors and at the end of the day none of it matters like it actually doesn't matter what the factor is what the reason is and we even there's so much Mm. information and research as well specifically pertaining to black women and how Mm. when you face so much trauma in your life you build up a physical armor around you to protect yourself and that is a direct correlation with gender especially Mm. and how these black people will put these physical barriers on their bodies to protect themselves from um violence specifically and it's just so yeah insensitive for people and white people especially to assume that fatness just equals laziness unhealthiness yeah, exactly. rada, 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 all these things and especially with beauty standards and how being bigger is deemed mm. in so many cultures as being the the pinnacle of beauty and like yeah. that beauty standard is so whitewashed and so um colonialized to being yeah. skinny for sure and even those um beauty standards throughout history have been very transient which means they've always been constantly evolving and the stigmatization of fat people is only a recent phenomenon if um you'll notice that women's hips and breasts are often the center of beauty standards and i think that represents fertility which obviously women's reproductive capabilities has always centered our worth and including our beauty so it's got sexist connotations to it but what's interesting is that during the paleolithic era which was the stone age era in our human history it shows women the most perfect woman had she was like quite voluptuous she would have these large breasts and hips and a big healthy stomach which i think is really interesting because you know that's not something we see in recent times and then even also during the Italian Renaissance it was seen as a wife's duty to reflect her husband's status in both behavior and appearance so if a woman was thin it indicated that her husband was not wealthy and so weight often um equated to um yeah social status and wealth wow it's crazy to see where we've come to Um, I just want to add in, hone in on the fact um, when we're talking about fat people, um, they are not a homogenous group either. All of them within fat people, there are so many intersectionalities. There's Mm -hmm. people of colour that have different experiences than white fat people. There's um, disabled people that have different experiences um, to everyone. And there's fat disabled people that have different experiences. So um, 
I just think it's important to know that when we are talking about this, there is so many intersectionalities within it um, and that providing legal protection for um, physical size under the law are necessary to remove the structural barriers to fat people living full and meaningful lives. So it's this conversation is so needed to protect people's lives, to save people's lives and to make sure they can live um, just as good as life as any um, cis fucking white person. Obviously, like, we're not all perfect with having these views as we're speaking today. And I admit that I've had biased views in the past, but I've had access to knowledge and education recently. And now you listening to this podcast episode have it now too. And it's up to you to call people out when they use fat as a a, as a um as an insult and it's up to me to do that too and it's up to all of us as a society now to stop focusing on other people and their decisions and their lifestyles and focus on yourself and that's all that matters yeah In this next segment, we're talking about diet culture and internalised dominance. So internalised dominance, we need to make clear, is a direct lead to diet culture and eating disorders because you are not internally fat phobic. You are internalising dominance over these minority groups. Mm. So I was first opened up to the concept of internalised dominance by Aubrey Gordon, who started off anonymously as your fat friend and she was anonymous on her platforms for years and years as a blogger talking about fat phobia as well and she opened my eyes to um, what internalised dominance is mm. and we touched on it in another ep- in a previous episode but basically internalised dominance is when you oppress others and it is the opposite of internalised oppression which is when you oppress yourself. Um, so for example internalised dominance would be misogyny and internalised oppression would be internalised misogyny. If you don't experience a particular kind of oppression, it is not yours to internalise. So coming off the back of fat phobia and talking about the fear of becoming fat, um, so this is pretty much just an emotional response of when fear overrides reason. And fear responses usually occur when people feel like they're in danger. And being fat in this world can be extremely dangerous because of, as we've spoken about before, medical neglect and misdiagnosis, so physical danger, but also from bullying and discrimination, which is impacts your mental health at the end of the day. And so fat people are derided and ostracised in society for simply just being fat. And because of this ostracization, other people are afraid of becoming fat and so internalise that dominance over fat people. And this fear is so ingrained into our internalised dominance that people go to extreme lengths to avoid becoming fat, including years of dieting, weight loss programs, over-exercising and so on. But instead of ostracising fat people, we wouldn't have this cycle of hating other people because Mm. they are fat or hating ourselves because we are fat or hating ourselves for missing days of exercise or fucking up a diet in fear of becoming or staying fat. Yeah, and it's so hard, especially when we start bringing into um, bringing conversations around eating disorders and disordered eating into this as well, because we don't want to make it sound like if you have disordered eating or if you um, have those patterns or you have an eating disorder, like it's not. We're not trying to say that you are, you know, internally fat phobic, even mm. though that is part of it it's definitely just something that we have been so brainwashed into and it's not your fault for feeling these ways like this is also what I want to say as well is that it's not your fault for hating fat people it is the socialization that we were talking about earlier that breeds this into Mm. us yeah 
And something that began um, with diet culture to kind of like shut it down was the body positivity movement, which fat women pioneered this movement at the forefront of um, deconstructing it, I suppose. And Aubrey Gordon had a quote that I found very important as well. A largely unintentional but deeply harmful coup that took a movement rooted in radical fat activism, appropriated it for thin people who already Mm. had immense cultural power and wrote fat people out of the movement. Thinner women are once again asserting themselves as those oppressed, claiming their insecurities are internalised fat phobia. When when it's not... And it's also like when we talk about fat, we're not talking about size 16. Like Mm. we're talking size 16, 18, 20, 24, 28, 29... (laughs) <laughs> size 29 as well <laughs> we we see all you all the sizes <laughs> all of them up to size you know in the in the 40s and like that is actual body positivity and body inclusion mm-hmm. yeah. body inclusion doesn't stop at a size xl that is not it that is not it sis and the only reason we say this it's because if you are a thin person and you're positive about your body Awesome. But the thing is, this world does not discriminate against your body. You can still buy clothes from every single shop that fit you. You see your body represented everywhere mm. in um, modeling and all of that. Catalogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Catalogs and all of that. Everywhere. And you're not discriminated against because of your body. Just because you have insecurities, it's not the same mm. thing. Yeah. And I have this. So when I read Aubrey Gordon's article I really did look at how I was as a woman and how I portrayed um, these thoughts and I did like a reflection um, on it as well and I think it's really good for people to reflect on um, this issue as well Um, and I wrote something like just little but I wrote um, as a white average size woman that isn't always ridiculed for being fat um, I'm not being told by doctors to lose weight and I'm not going to a store and not finding my size. I need to remember this before claiming to have internalised fat phobia. Instead, I need to thank and work side by side with these amazing fat activists that have come before me and continue to do amazing work for this marginalised group. Before I refuse to rip off their work and claim to be oppressed when that in itself is supremacy, fat phobia and remaining dominant. This makes me uncomfortable and it probably will to you too. But let's stop right now and again realise our own privilege and work fucking hard to ensure we aren't oppressing yet another group of people, even if it is unintentional. I love that, Jazzy. So beautiful. I wrote it like I reflecting it. back on her article because I, I resonated so much with yeah. it in a different way yeah. to, I guess, fat people would, which I thought was really awesome. And I do really um, still think about it a lot in my everyday life. So I hope that internalised dominance is more of a um, useful word for you now to understand where it links into diet culture and how it is harmful to all people and all women as well. So diet culture has been around for a very long time. And I remember when I was a teenager, I was on, I was trying all those fucking skinny me teas Mm. and all of those sorts of diet pills and things like that and that came from magazines, social media, it came from the people around me, it came from schools, it came from billboards. Diet culture breeds into our society because it wants women to feel dissatisfied with Mm. themselves and to feel small and need to be small and that is the patriarchy wanting us to hate ourselves. So with skinny me tea, for example, the side effects, for example – Sorry. For example, the side effects of skinny me tea are, may affect accuracy of pill. 
of the contraceptive pill, that was never discussed and talked mm, about. And I that is a very that. dangerous thing to do to women and young teenage girls that are on these medications at the same time. And with these um, teas, they're actually just making you poo a yeah, lot. Laxatives. Like laxatives. And that doesn't actually equate to losing weight. That is just making you feel sick. And disordered eating actually leads into eating disorders so much. It is the gateway mm. of eating disorders. Um, and even when you have those teas and you have that response of, you know, shitting yourself pretty mm. much and feeling that emptiness in your stomach, you associate with that with a good thing. Like yeah. it's associated with good because you're losing weight. That yeah. means you're losing weight when you're shitting yourself and feeling <laughs> empty in your stomach and like all of those feelings it gives you like, yeah, it comes back to the health, well. yeah, yeah. To the health aspect healthy. of it too. Cause it's not healthy to be yeah. doing that to your body and to be, you know, purging, binging and doing those things to um, remove that, remove the toxins from your body. And that's why thinness does not always equate healthiness. And I feel like even personally, I was at my unhealthiest when I was at my skinniest. And that was because I was barely eating. So, for example, with the tabloids that we used to read when we were little girls and our mums would pick up these magazines, you would see quotes such as, flatten your abs fast, seven yummy fat melting foods. (laughs) What? These images were always used for women to sell products as well. And that is capitalism. They Mm. want us to buy things to make us sick pretty much. And I agree with Saskia. I was definitely at my unhealthiest when I was at my smallest. And with eating disorders, it is such a touchy subject. And I'm sorry if this is bringing up any unwanted feelings for you because it is a very hard topic to talk about. And we've all struggled with our eating tendencies and our patterns because of diet culture and the statistics that come around with it. I don't even, I'm not sure if you know this, but anorexia nervosa is the leading debt, like cause of death in eating disorders as well so 20% of individuals with anorexia will die from it and that is just so sad no one talks about that yeah it's so fucking awful with that as well you can have these eating disorders and have a healthy BMI I have a healthy BMI I go to a doctor I have a healthy BMI but I have an eating disorder it's for the BMI to be something that is used so commonly in our society yet it doesn't have anything to do with the psychological torment of eating disorders yeah. and diet culture and how it actually affects your brain because eating disorders don't just affect you on the outside, it is all inside. You are constantly thinking about food and what it's doing to you, what it's not doing to you and it's yeah. consuming us and people, we need help with that. There needs to be more resources and access to information and that's why we want to talk to you about this because it's so scary yeah. that you're probably listening to this and understanding where we're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think, um, yeah, honing in on the fact that it um, is psychological as well and that a lot of um, the health professionals that tell you to lose weight or tell you to, um, yeah, lose weight to to be healthier have no understanding of those psychological um, patterns in people's brains. So they don't understand when they say stuff um, that it can be triggering for these people as well, Mm. um, which is a big um, problem in society. Yeah, so with low self-esteem comes body shaming and if you're feeling insecure about yourself, you go to dieting and then with dieting, that is a disordered mm. eating pattern yeah. and with disordered eating, that is causing harm to your body which is causing a mental illness and eating disorders which is the leading cause de- of death 
in Australia. And virtually just causing you to be unhealthy. Yep. When you probably were just a regular healthy human being before all of this. And the, the fear and this internalised dominance and this fear mm. of being fat is funding all of these diet industries and funding all of these companies and uh, enabling them and allowing them to be so toxic to young girls and allowing them to have these products out there that are literally killing women. Mm. Like this is killing women. And like, it's so easy to just, when we talk about these things to just assume that it's just this, you know, up in the air social construct that, you know, people are just having something to whinge about when it's not that like people are dying from this Mm -hmm. just in the same breath that people are dying from, um, being fat but no one talks about that like yep. no one talks about the differentiation between the two of those things and it's so like at the end of the day if people are dying because of the unhealthy messages that are being fed to us like why is that not the discussion why is that not the point of con- mm-hmm. like um point of conversation yeah and to add with that as well 10 percent of people with anorexia and bulimia are male as well this is a social problem that everyone is suffering from and we need to also include men in this but women are at the forefront of having eating disorders at one out of every 100 young people between 10 and 20 have anorexia and four out of 100 college aid, aged women have bulimia yeah and it's such a miscon misconception as well that only skinny people have these eating mm. disorders like it's fat people right. have disordered eating fat people have eating disorders and when we only have the moniker of bulimia and anorexia is what an eating disorder looks like then we overlook all of these people whose fatness could be helped could actually be helped if they had treatment for disordered eating yeah if we were aware of what is good for us in our diets and what we can eat what is accessible to us because with these diets I even consider veganism a diet in Mm. itself as well because I found that when I went vegan I stopped eating so many foods that I used to enjoy or that would fill me up because I cared about the animals and I understand that that is a beautiful movement to follow but because we were young we didn't have the money to buy the food that were good for us and we didn't have the information and the resources Mm -hmm. to actually have and the education behind what disordered eating looks like and what disordered eating patterns and what restrictive eating patterns look like and Mm -hmm. what that actually is and the harm that that does directly to people diet culture creates thin privilege which makes thinness a gatekeeper for jobs benefits Mm -hmm. comfort accommodation just everything which is capitalism thin privilege is so fucking problematic because it opens up doors to just everything I see it all the time on my day-to-day life I see how thin people are treated compared to how I'm treated and it's hard to talk about this because especially when we're in such an age of realizing what oppressed groups um, actually experience and stuff and it can be so easy to just overlook things and just think that's not as important as this and that's not important and create a Mm. hierarchy of what is important when humans when as humans we have the capability to care about multiple things and we have the capabilities to understand that there are so many intersectionalities with oppression and how so many different factors will coincide with it as Mm -hmm. well yeah there's also a misconception in society as well that eating disorders just fall under the umbrellas of anorexia and bulimia when that is also not the case because like with what I was saying before, I have an unspecified eating disorder because I don't fall into the categories of having anorexic anorexic tendencies and bulimic patterns as well. But it doesn't change the fact that I have an eating disorder and it doesn't change the fact that there is so many different layers of what an eating disorder is and everyone's body is different and the way that it reacts and the way that we do treat what we eat and how we feel about it is such a different disparity rather than just these two disordered like eating disorders there is so much more to that and I want you to know that as well and if you feel like you do fall under these categories or something else 
then please seek help and there is help available for you. And with the intersectionalities that Ruby was discussing before, I found a recent study that set, that found that 28% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander high school students have an eating disorder compared to 22% of other Australian teens. Mm. So this problem is everywhere. And once again, white privilege and white supremacy comes into it because we're only fo- like the media only focuses on white people and yeah. thinness and white people and body positivity. Yeah. I think this is a good way to segue into what we want to talk about next, which is representation and mm-hmm. how important representation is. Because when when someone has a body that is like yours or close enough to yours and you see it doing things that you have been told you can't do, be or look like, you start to feel like you can and that mm, matters. It does. And positive fat representation in itself is so fucking important because for so many years in media and in TV and in movies we've just seen these disgusting representations of fat people Mm -hmm. and this complete stereotype that has no um, diversity or no you know just no respect towards fat people in it at all and I just wanted to name some really amazing positive fat representations of people in media so there's Melissa McCarthy in literally everything she's been in because she is a fucking (laughs) fat icon Barbie Ferreira who is Kat from Euphoria Danielle Brooks Kate Mulgrew Adrian Moore Leah Delaria from Orange is the New Black Danielle McDonald in Patty Cake and Dumpling Rita Sealiff in Parks and Recs and Good Girls Nikki Blonsky in Hairspray like these people exist and they're out there and it's really important that we focus on these positive representations of fat people rather than these disgusting depictions that are that are exhibited through so many other ways as well and I wish I had a list for the fucked up ones but I'm just going to amplify the positive ones for now So in this last segment, we're going to be talking about capitalism, the gender binary, and how that all links to patriarchy. Yeah. And I just wanted to start this off with this quote that I saw somewhere on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's a proper quote, so I don't think we need to quote it, but whatever. Anyway. um, We'll find it, maybe. (laughs) Self-acceptance is capitalism's worst nightmare. And I want to just... Let that, yeah, kick yeah, us off with that. Definitely kick us off with that because that is mm. fucking true. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just shows as well, coming back to like diet culture, they've created this whole culture through tabloids, through companies um, profiting it off us. And it's a fact that only, so 97% of people who diet regain the weight and sometimes more within three years. So the diet culture and diet, diet products then step in saying we regained the weight because we messed up so we fall into their trap and buy those expensive diet products once again so it just shows that like we are then blamed for not becoming skinny we are then blamed for not becoming this thin beautiful Mm. woman that we're always told we need to be and then it's like capitalism markets off that and actually (laughs) sells us these expensive products that don't do anything because 97% of people don't go follow through or it just affects their eating and then Mm. goes into disordered eating and Mm. things like that so capitalism is literally selling us disordered eating 
And it also, is. It's if you look us. back at the roots as well, when capitalism started, it also coincides with when our beauty standards started to change. And mm-hmm. those ones I spoke about before, um, when it was actually the beauty standard for women to have weight to represent wealth, like uh, was that changed and women were forced to become skinnier. That was the same yeah. time that capitalism started to boom. Definitely. And big corporations started exploiting all of the people yeah <laughs> yeah it's, I, I think it's about a seven billion dollar industry no, the I've, diet I've industry oh you <laughs> have yeah. it the total u.s weight loss industry so not even the whole world yeah hit a new peak in 2018 growing four percent to 72 billion dollars fuck i thought it was seven yeah. billion <laughs> and, um i was reading also that it was actually predicted to drop in 2020 by nine percent to 71 billion dollars but that was obviously okay. due to covid mm. with everything being closed but within this um where you can see capitalism in action yeah while people are living through a pandemic um, so while people <laughs> while people are living through a pandemic in lockdown losing their jobs super lonely the weight loss industry in order to not lose these profits just changed their marketing methods yeah. instead of caring about people's mental health they now targeted a whole new range of ways to diet and lose weight through yeah. shifting diet trends into virtual services including apps and so yeah. they didn't end up losing all of those profits yeah <laughs> And also putting so much pressure on people through the pandemic to lose weight. Like we're going through a fucking pandemic. People are losing their houses. People are dying from a virus and they're still trying to market us and tell us to lose weight. You can go fuck yourself, capitalism, honestly. Yeah, seriously. They're phobic as fuck. And also just in such a general sense with social media as well and how much we are just spoon-fed this self-hatred of mm. ourselves and how much they don't give a fuck how you feel mm-hmm. about yourself. They don't give a fuck. They don't yeah. want you to feel good because if you felt good about yourself, then you wouldn't be spending all of this money of trying to change yourself. Yep. Like they'd be out of business. No business. And this is why being fat and being in these intersectionalities is always going against the patriarchy and the capitalist structures that it is because you are saying no to these fucking people that are trying to sell you Mm self-hatred. But yeah, kind kind of just wanting to sum it all up and to talk about maybe how we can transform our conversations from being with your group of pals, talking about diet culture or talking about weight loss. You can talk about how diet culture um, breeds oppression and upholds capitalism. So these are different Mm. ways that you can change diet culture by no longer thriving or conforming to it but talking about how to stop it or talking about how it does directly um, relate to capitalism. Once I started seeing things um, this way or seeing how these industries worked, it really helped me to get out of that cycle of trying to diet, of trying to become thin for people. Um, Because once you understand why they're doing it or how they're doing it and they're doing it for profit, you don't want to fucking give them your money. Like you want to... Tell them to fuck off and you're going to be who you want to be. But it's people don't understand or don't know about this. So having this conversation and surrounding yourself with people that are ready to start talking about other things other than weight loss will really help you in the long run. So dieting and eating disorder culture usually has only specifically targeted women traditionally, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't affected men as well. And so I have this statistic here that says over one half of teenage girls and nearly one third of teenage boys use unhealthy weight control behaviours, whether that be binge eating, taking laxatives or whatever it is. And I just want to talk about how this also links into these outdated or rigid ideas of masculinity, especially Mm. for men. 
And within the gender binary, seeing specific genders to have specific roles under the patriarchy and not intermingling masculinity and femininity, it forces men to feel like they have to be a certain body type and that's usually quite muscular and bulky. And what what do muscles represent? They represent strength. This is a direct link to patriarchal ideas of masculinity, that men need to be strong. They need to be the protectors. Women are in need of protection as they are delicate and weak. And so men need to be strong to be able to look after them and protect them. Mm. This idea is fed to men to make them feel insecure because, by God, if they started to run out of ways to make women feel insecure. (laughs) And so (laughs) men buy into this by buying into that culture as well and the performance of like masculinity and femininity and how that just is so toxic especially when we start talking about non-binary people and gender non-conforming people and people who continually go against this like idea of what is normal and like that idea of gender as well and even when we bring it back as well to like fat women especially having to perform femininity and all these people that are forced to perform this femininity in such an overt way because it's associated that women are meant to be small and fragile and men are meant to be big and strong. And like we go back to these gender norms so much because it's so crucial to how we view each other and how we view other women and men as well in society. And I keep thinking, I was thinking about this while I was doing the research for this this episode is that obviously fat cis women also struggle under the gender binary as they find it harder to reach these patriarchal ideas of femininity Mm, too and it got me thinking like if we have these really rigid ideas of what femininity and masculinity is there is obviously only a a certain few people can fit into that which means that there are so many other ways to portray masculinity and femininity and it just shows you that the gender binary is literally it doesn't exist. We want it to exist and we try to make it exist, but it actually doesn't Doesn't. because not everyone fits within it. So how do we make peace with our bodies? How do we combat these ideas of diet culture and fat phobia? Honestly, like I only can speak for myself here and – I'm still on that journey. There is just so much work to do for all of us to actually find some acceptance in ourselves and love. And I'm speaking for myself as a 22-year-old cisgendered white female, someone with immense privilege. And I would just recommend, if you're listening to this and you feel like you need some assistance, there is access for you and you really should reach out to people and talk to your friends reach out to us and when it comes to social media you need to diversify your feeds you need Mm -hmm. to unfollow people that make you feel shit about yourself and stop worrying about what they're going to think if you unfollow them because it doesn't matter and you're probably not going to see them Um, also set limits on your phone use and read books read experiences from people that you normally wouldn't and I just want to include the Butterfly Foundation's phone number right now in case you need it. It's 1-800-334-673. If you think that you should be calling that number, please do. Please Mm. call it because honestly it's so important to reach out and seek help for these things because it's so easy as well to just like think like, oh – 
for example, I'm fat, like I can't have an eating disorder because that's, you know, not what I've been taught it looks like when it's not true at all. Like mm. people have these patterns so ingrained in them and it's so easy to just overlook it. And it's the most important thing is to not do that. Don't overlook these feelings that you get when you look at food or when you're going to the supermarket or when you're cooking or all of these things. Like, I'm sorry if it's, if this is triggering for you, like I genuinely am, but some people just need to hear it. Like mm. people need to understand that this affects people in their day-to-day life. All like, day, every day day Mm, consumed with these thoughts and it shouldn't be like that and when you do combat these sorts of issues and you do find self-worth and self-love there is so much more room for other things on for other important subjects and be able to actually talk about it I found that when I started to not hate my body so much and love myself more I had so much room in my brain to think about other things that I didn't even realize it was wild it's so true because the amount of work and this is goes back to women's unpaid labor as well and the labor that women go through to make themselves look a certain way and to feel a certain way and all of this calorie counting and this Mm. constant cycles of going to the gym and exercising and all of these things that are so obsessive in the ways of if you're doing it and you're being obsessive about it and you have disordered eating and patterns like that then that is time that is money that is resources that you are exerting into this capitalist structure that don't care about you they don't care about you and they don't care about your mental health or your mental well-being and it's important that you take care of your mental health and well-being and that you have that support network and that these you reach out to these places that are built for this yeah because we're not doctors we haven't studied these sorts of things but yeah. we this just, is just want to our experience. In this information yeah. And yeah it is our experience in order to deconstruct this all from a patriarchal perspective it's important that everyone needs to realize that capitalism as in all of these big big companies have literally been manipulating you into thinking these rigid ideas about dieting and weight loss in order to keep selling you things so stop buying into it do what's best for your body mm. and for fuck's sake stop criticizing other people for their decisions <laughs> i've been in no way perfect with this in the past and i'll admit i've come a long way but now we all have the information to know and to know and do better and i challenge everyone including myself to stop judging other people for their life choices for sure yeah i also want to fall up on the backbone <laughs> of that because i think it was just such an awesome thing to say um rewriting your narrative i saw this on the i Weigh instagram page but rewriting your narrative change the way that you speak about food and change the way that you talk about your body in front of other people and change the way that and just think about how you're talking about yourself yeah just like be more aware of how you do speak about yourself out loud and internally and about other people because that is where it stems from as well so love yourself you fucking idiots (laughs) you're beautiful and you're worthy and break the stigma honestly like just destroy this stupid fucking system it makes me so mad that we're all struggling like this but you are heard and you are worthy so I have something that I have prepared earlier to read for this episode because I'm obviously a fat woman and I am proud of that fact and this is something I have to say so fucking listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I am not here to be a reminder of what it looks like to be weak, lazy, pitiful or what it looks like to let yourself go, to be unhealthy, unworthy, unhappy and undesirable. I am not here to make you feel better about yourself or to make you feel like you deserve more than I because of genetics, eugenics and the message that patriarchy has spoon-fed us. That the less space a woman takes up, the better. My very existence destroys the patriarchy every single day and I fucking love it. (laughs) I love my fat body and I love the things that it lets me do. I love the way it feels to be secure in the home that I have built and have nurtured. 
I am here to remind you what strength, intelligence, empathy, humour and beauty looks like. I am all of those things and so much more. Your hatred and your microaggressions towards me and my body are rooted in your own fear and insecurity of not being accepted by the society that is so desperate to destroy you anyway. My body is mine and it is beautiful and no one has the right to police, oppress or discriminate against someone else because of theirs. Please reflect on your own bias. Ask yourself, why am I so afraid to gain weight? Is it because you are afraid of buying bigger clothes, having a little extra skin, feeling guilty when eating whatever you want? Or is it because you are afraid you will be treated the way that you treat fat people, the way that society treats fat people? If so, change that. Recognise tokenistic body diversity. Follow and uplift fat bodies. Don't comment on anyone's eating or exercise patterns, even if you think it's because you care. Remove implications that food is something to be earned, a reward. Follow bodies that don't conform to cis, white, heteronormative beauty standards. Listen to your fat friends. Ask them how it feels to live in their bodies and when they tell you, believe them. Call out yourself and other people when you hear others use terminology that directly contributes to the fatphobic rhetoric that is so, so toxic. It's never too late to take a step back and think, hey, maybe I have been wrong about this. Maybe it is time for me to rethink how I view the people around me. As a fat woman, it is my personal belief that I do not need to lose weight for love, success, visibility and freedom. These feelings are a journey and I still struggle with internalised fat phobia on a day-to-day basis. Things like representation, exposure to body positive women and the abolishment of fat phobic language are crucial to my recovery as a reformed self-hating fat woman. But believe me when I say it took a long time for me to get here and believe me when I say that the majority of the world does not think this way about me. My entire life in primary school, team sports, high school, social environments, workplaces, university, nightclubs, bars, restaurants, waiting rooms, doctor's offices, supermarkets, swimming pools, cinemas, clothing stores, op shops, cafes, beaches, planes, cars, and even the places where I should feel the most safe, I am reminded that the world I live in is not built for me, that there is something wrong with me, that I do not deserve a place here or there on the table or at the floor. And to that... (laughs) You're amazing. <laughs> and to that I say, get absolutely and utterly fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Whilst the world works against me and people are sitting in their corners of fat phobia and internalised dominance, I am not only surviving but fucking thriving in a world that does not stop at any cost to assure otherwise. As Kelly Jean Drinkwater says, fat bodies are inherently political and unapologetic fat bodies can blow people's minds. I am here to blow your mind with the power of my fat body and everything else I am beyond that. Get used to it because I am here to stay. <laughs> oh my God, I'm speechless. Oh I'm goosebumps, so I'm much. crying. <laughs> yeah, you're amazing, Ruby. Holy shit. Yeah, that was so fucking amazing. And that's that. <laughs> that's Thank you for listening to this episode of Revolting Women. We hope you were able to learn at least one new thing from us today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as it helps more people find us. You can follow us on Instagram at Revolting Women Podcast or click the link in our show notes. You will be able to find the sources we referred to in this episode today. If you have any feedback, questions, episode topics, want to open up a discussion or come onto the podcast, we would love to hear from you. We would like to take this moment to also state that we are not the creators nor pioneers of this information, and our aim is to build upon the pre-existing teachings that have informed us. 
we say thank you to the black and indigenous women of color, LGBTQIA communities, activists and trailblazing feminists that have fought so we could thrive. If this episode has brought up any triggering feelings, please know that our DMs are open to you. You can contact mental health services such as Headspace, which is a free Australian youth-based service at 1800 650 890 or Lifeline at 131 114. Remove the stigma and reach out. See you next episode! <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs>